0: Here's the bad news, when the preacher gets up, all the key changes are done, right? Like the nine key changes that the choir done, it's really, I don't know if it's really uh, fair for the preacher to preach after that. And so I'm going to do my best to point you to Jesus this morning because he is worthy of our lives. But I want to start out with just a simple question, and it's this, what's the word that comes to your mind when you think of Easter. What's the word that comes to mind when you think of this day called Easter? Power? Glory? Family? Stone? Awe? Hope? Now, to be honest, I've probably preached on all those words at Christmas over the years. But As I really think about it, the word that really comes to mind for me about the resurrection is probably the very same word that comes to mind when I think about the life and ministry of Jesus and what he was all about. And that word really is life. You see, on this Easter day, on Resurrection Sunday, this is a day that is teeming with the life of Jesus. And it also describes what Jesus wants for you. Because sometimes we think and we believe, I think mistakenly, that Jesus only wants to transport us to heaven, or forgive us our sins, or maybe to give us maybe a cause to live for. I remember being about 21 years of age, spending some time in in an orphanage in Latin America. I remember thinking at that time, what great need, what opportunity I could give my life for this. I remember thinking just a few short years ago, I was leading a Bible study with a group of HIV, AIDS, a support group. And I remember thinking the exact same thing. What great need, what heartbreak, what opportunity? I could give my life for this, and it'd be a worthy life and a worthy cause. But the question is, did Jesus just come to give us a cause to live for? Did Jesus simply come to transport us to heaven one day? Did Jesus just come to give us this community called the church or maybe even forgive us our sins now obviously I'm glad he forgives me I'm still working out my junk even as I'm pastoring right I'm glad that he gave us a a community called the church these fellow strugglers who so faithfully and so relentlessly point me and my my family to Jesus I'm obviously I'm glad that there is hope on the horizon every year that goes by I get a one step closer to heaven, one step closer even every year I get older. But I really come back to this idea that even more than power or glory or wonder or hope, that the resurrection, Jesus' entire life and ministry, is, is he longed to give life. He longed to impart life. He longed for your life to be brimming with resurrection power and potential, because when you look at Jesus in the Gospels, something hits you straight between the eyes, and it's something you rarely see. You begin to recognize that Jesus truly lived life. Jesus loved. Jesus wept. Jesus forgave. Jesus reconciled with his friends, like his friend Peter. Jesus confronted his enemies. Jesus experienced profound moments of isolation, 40 days in the desert, and moments of profound jubilation and joy. Jesus was at home with sinners and tax collectors as he was explaining one of his parables to his closest disciples. Jesus truly lived. And yet sometimes I think when we we look at the resurrection, We think of it as this definitive proof of his divinity, that only God could conquer death and the grave. And there's totally a lot of truth in that. But sometimes a missing aspect we fail to realize is that Jesus was also the truly human one. Capital T, capital H, capital O. Jesus was the truly human one. That is, when we follow Jesus, we're actually becoming more human, more in touch with our humanity, more who we are created to be because we're actually following the truly human one. We're following someone who lived life to the fullest. So here at Trinity, we're, what, five or six weeks into this sermon series on the Gospel of Mark. And truth be told, it's actually helping me recalibrate why I became a pastor in the first place really why I became a Christian in the first place. It was all about Jesus. Jesus captured my heart. Jesus rescued my life. Everything was about Jesus. And I'm recognizing, sadly, even as I preach, how often I wander away from the life of Jesus. And as I look at Mark, I begin asking myself these days, why did I pursue life apart from the giver of life? Why am I trying to, to build my life on trivialities and trinkets compared to the weightiness and the truth of God revealed in Christ? Because I should know better. I've lived better. I've experienced better. I should know better. And so part of what the resurrection means is that life is found in Jesus. See, it's not only that Jesus conquers sin and death and the grave, those negative aspects that come against life. It's that Jesus is the source and the substance, the foundation and our footing, the cornerstone of life. I don't know if you've ever taken time to think about the world that God created. Have you ever thought about how much, if you go this way, you know, to the east, how much our ocean is teeming with life? If you go to the south and a little bit to the west, off one single solitary coast, off the coast of Peru, about 700 billion sardines are harvested. And you say, well, what, every decade, every 25 years? 700 billion every year. One coast, one species of fish, 700 billion. Every year. If you go to the other side of our beachside community to the Banana River and you take just a single drop of river water, now, even if it wasn't contaminated, a single drop of river water contains thousands of organisms amoebas, protozoans, rotifers, water bears, I don't even know what these things are, right? One (laughs) drop. Think about an entire bucket. And then think about how many rivers and how many lakes are on our entire planet, teeming with life just in one drop of water. So why does it surprise us that God could resurrect his son from the dead when God is this full of life, God is this full of life teeming from the creator God? And so this morning, what I want to do is to give you breadcrumbs leading to the resurrection. Because when we get to the resurrection, yes, there is surprise. Yes, we should be in awe. We should be in wonder. But if we actually look back at what Jesus said, if we actually look back at what he did in his ministry, there's actually some breadcrumbs leading to the resurrection that should give us a picture of, yes, this is coming. Resurrection life is coming if we only look back on what Jesus said. So here it is, four breadcrumbs leading to the resurrection, they all come from the Gospel of John. You ready? Here we go. First breadcrumb occurs just four verses into John's Gospel. John says it like this, In him and Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. That is, if you follow Jesus into the light, you are going to have life. This is how John begins his entire Gospel, life is going to bubble up all around the ministry of Jesus. Jesus has the words of life. Jesus has a touch that heals and brings life. Breadcrumb number 2, John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. In other words, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you feed upon Jesus the more you're going to have life brimming from within you. As bread is a basic sustenance to keep you alive, Jesus is saying, here I am too. I am the bread of life. Third breadcrumb, a little bit later, John 15, Jesus says it like this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying there's life in the vine. He's saying your job as a branch is not to create your own life. Your job as a branch is not to look out how you might organize yourself to create life within you. You simply have to be connected to the vine who longs to give you life, who longs to impart life to you. And so Jesus' message is simply this. Be connected and you will have life. Fourth breadcrumb, Jesus says it. I mean, he puts these cookies on the bottom, bottom shelf. So easy for us to understand, yet we miss it again and again. John chapter 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. All these breadcrumbs leading to the resurrection. Jesus' Easter resurrection is just bursting forth with life that he wants to give to those who follow him. A few weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast. Does anybody listen to podcasts? I like to listen to them. The times I'm not listening to sports podcasts, I'm listening to this guy, and he was talking about communication, theory. you're like, oh, this sounds really fun for Easter. Here, hold on, hold on. He said there was like six or seven different types of communicators, both in the business world and in the church. So he he started to run through some of these, and he said, first of all, there's commanders, now, uh, communicators who are commanders, they love to tell you what to do. And you're like, I, uh, I might have been married to one of those. Uh, <laughs> what do I do then, right? What do I do? New other sermon series, right? Another time. There's motivators. These are the type of folks who love to inspire you, encourage you, and pat you on the back. There's challengers who, in the church, love to sting you and maybe hit you with the, the truth. There's healers who love for you to help find a sense of wholeness and and healing in broken lives. There are teachers who, in the church at least, love to help you think through the implications of the Bible and how do you apply all those truths to your life. And then he said, uh, the last one, he said, the last type of community care, he said it was a maven. A maven. Now this was totally new to me. And he said, mavens are those type of communicators who love to violate your view of reality. Mavens like to deconstruct your entire worldview. They like to burn your worldview to the ground. And I begin to think, you know what? The resurrection is a maven event because no one rises from the dead. But if Jesus rose from the dead, that should change all of your previous assumptions because that violates our basic view of reality, our basic world view. And so what is the gospel doing at Easter? The gospel is actually inviting you to deconstruct everything you knew about reality before the resurrection of Jesus. And then build your life back up on this new truth that you are now confronted with. And listen, I get it. That is difficult to do. That's a difficult ask. That's a lot to ask of any of us. But here's the thing. The resurrection is that important. The resurrection is this maven event, violates and deconstructs our entire view of reality. Because it's, just, it's not just like Jesus, you know, Jesus comes just to add something to your already great life. Who has a great life? I'll oh, just let me add Jesus to that and make it even better. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus is not trying to add something like religion or grace or forgiveness to your life. Jesus is actually trying to deconstruct your entire view of reality. That's what the resurrection does. Jesus is trying to replace your meaning and your purpose, and what you are all about with one single truth and one single thing. And here it is. Jesus longs for his life to be in you. That's it. That's why Jesus came. Jesus longs to put his life in you. Not an idea of him. Not the religion that he came to found not abstract and personal concepts like love or, or grace or compassion, his life in you. That's the simplest way I know to summarize what Christianity is all about. So here's what God is trying to do. Let's step back for a moment at a macro level. On a macro level, what is God trying to deconstruct for you? Human autonomy plus the, you know, the search for happiness plus American perfectionism. Did you get all that? You didn't get it, right? Human autonomy plus the search for happiness plus American perfectionism. And it might sound something like this. I am the source of my own life and my own happiness. It's all up to me. I better get it right. Isn't that how most of us live our lives? I am the source of my life and my happiness. And by golly, I better get it right. It's all up to me. The pressure's on me. And unless you deconstruct that view of reality, you'll do one of two things with Jesus. One, you'll add Jesus onto your life as an added religious component. And Jesus becomes just another taskmaster because it's still all up to you. Jesus is still on the periphery of your life. The pressure is still on. The stress is still on. And you better get it right. Jesus is just another religious add-on for living a successful life life, and i got to say, no wonder so many people tap out of this version of Christianity because there's, where's the love affair that you've been designed for? Where's the resurrection life that God has given you? Or two, you'll blame Jesus when things go bad in life because you're not committed to a life in Jesus but to your own happiness because life is still defined in terms of personal happiness or success in life or having a great family, or achieving good things in your career, or a mixture of all those things. I am the source of my own life, and my own happiness, it's all up to me, and I better get it right. That's the view of reality that Jesus is trying to deconstruct for you, and unless you deconstruct it and understand the resurrection as this maven event, you'll never understand Jesus and what he's all about and what he's trying to do in your life. So what's the construction of reality that Jesus is going for? Let me give you three thoughts. First, the resurrection means that Jesus is life. The closer you get to Jesus, the closer you're going to get to life. Now, friends, this is the life you've always wanted. This is a life you've always searched for. This is a life that often eludes us time and time again. But Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Now, you can't get any closer to life than bread. Jesus said, I am the vine. He longs for you to be attached to the very source of life, which is Jesus. Jesus is the resurrection life. He wants to replace the old and broken down you, right, with what? His life in you. The closer you get to Jesus, the closer you're going to get to life. Someone once said... Just being alive doesn't mean you're living. Right? We all know those folks and you're like, you just wish this. you could shake them and live their life for them for just a little while. So here's the truth. When I'm in Christ and Christ is in me, I'm the man that I want to be. When I'm close to Christ, I'm the husband that I want to be. When I'm close to Christ, I am the father that I want to be when I'm close to Christ I'm the 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 friend I'm the the pastor that I desperately long to be the closer I get to Jesus the closer I get to finding life don't you get that do you get that the more I find my authentic self the more I find the Jason Carter that God has actually created me to be I don't lose my identity the closer I get to Christ I actually find it. Amen? Amen? The closer you get to Jesus, the closer you're going to get to finding life. Second, what do you observe about our culture? The people in our culture, they spend most of their adult years doing one of two things. Either they are looking to become whole through counseling, inner healing, addiction recovery, anger management, or deliverance, or mindfulness, or zen, or a thousand different things, in the pursuit of wholeness and, and growth. Just make me whole. Just make me whole. Uh, if this, this thing or that thing could just make me whole. This is really the cry of our entire culture. Or they're running away from wholeness with, with speeds that are truly frightening. Addiction to screens and pornography, addiction to alcohol, addiction to work, addiction to success, addiction to what other people think about me. People either running away from wholeness with astounding speed or trying everything under the sun to make life work and to get whole. And so here's where the life of Jesus comes into play for you. It's John Eldred says it like this Jesus has no intention of letting you become whole. Apart from His moment-to-moment presence, and here's a secret, His life within you. because that's how you've been designed for life in God. Can I say that again? John Eldridge, Jesus has no intention of letting you become whole again, apart from, what? His moment-to-moment presence and life within you. Not getting whole so then you can follow Jesus, as uh, you have to clean your life up before you come to Jesus. Jesus wants you to come just as you are. But not getting Jesus so then you can become whole, as if Jesus, you know, is this only this pit stop on the way to something greater. Here's the idea Becoming whole only as Jesus' life is in you. Friends, this is what your soul has been designed for. This is you becoming whole as Jesus lives his life in you, the life of God within you, the life of Jesus in you. I don't know if anybody here has heard of St. Francis of Assisi. If you've heard of St. Francis of Assisi, you've probably heard the same things I've heard my entire life. Here's a guy, here's a saint that talked to birds and bunnies and squirrels. There's a lot of weird things concerning St. Francis of Assisi, a lot of weird tradition that, quite frankly, I'm a little skeptical of, right? A little skeptical of myself. But I do love what G.K. Chesterton said of this guy. Here's what he said. As St. Francis did not love humanity but men, so he did not love Christianity but Christ. Why? Because Christianity has actually maybe hurt some of you, disillusioned. Some of you. And so he said he didn't love Christianity, but he did love Christ. He said his religion was not a thing like a theory, but a thing like a love affair. And so what the resurrection actually opens up to you is the life that you have always longed for and searched for, to live a life of love and to live a life with Jesus. Third. Last breadcrumb from the gospel of John leading to the resurrection. Jesus said it like this, John 14, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, many of you have been raised with the idea that all religions are the same. They all lead to the same path. They all lead to the same destination. I once heard a preacher say, well, why don't you go tell Muslims that Islam is the same as Buddhism. Or go tell Buddhists that Buddhism is the same as Islam. It's like, have you ever tried sushi and ice cream? Because if you think these two things are the same, it's just proof that you've never tried either one. Why? Because religion is basically man's attempt to find God. Religion is basically man's attempt to find life. It's Jesus who says, I have come that you may have life. Jesus came for you, Jesus died for you, Jesus was raised for you, so you could have life. And here's the truth, no other God is coming for you. No other God. No other God ever came for you like Jesus. Only Christ came, only Christ died, only Christ was raised again. This is a maven event that challenges you to deconstruct everything you knew before the resurrection of Jesus. This is how important Easter is for Christians. And If you're on Twitter, which actually I hope most of you aren't, mostly a cesspool, but every once in a while you find a hidden gem. There's a a viral clip going around uh, before Easter these last few days. It's a clip by uh, Scottish preacher Alistair Begg. And Alistair Begg's uh, thinking about the, the thief on the cross. Remember, Jesus said to him today, you're going to be with me in paradise. And so uh, he's imagining that, you know, the thief on the cross. He's, he, gets to the, he gets to heaven. He gets to the golden, uh, you know, the, the, what, I was going to say the Golden Gate Bridge. Probably, <laughs> probably a different location, but, you know. Um, he gets to heaven, let's just say that. And, uh, you know, he's greeted with an angel. And the angel goes, you know what? I don't have your name. Are you a late addition? I don't have your name. And uh, why are you here? And he just said, I'm just here. And the the angel was like, what do you mean you're just here? So the angel goes and gets a supervisor angel or maybe, you know, uh, maybe a whole committee of angels because, you know, the church, we love committees. And so uh, the committee comes back and they they said, well, we just have to ask you a few questions, Steve. Um, Could you just clarify us uh, for a moment? What is your view of the doctrine of justification by faith? And he goes, I have no idea what that means. He says, Well, what about the, the doctrine of, of Scripture? Can you tell us a little bit about that? And he just blank-blank-face, blank-face. And finally, the committee says, Well, can you at least tell us what basis you are even here? By what basis are you even here? And the thief says, Well, the man on the middle cross, he said I could come. The man on the middle cross, he said. I could come here. And friends, that's the only way any of us come. That's the only way any of us see the Father. That's the only way any of us have the life that you have been created and designed for. Is when we say, the man on the middle cross, you know what? He said I could come. Anytime that we begin our sentence with I... I, I, you know you've gone astray. Well, I had faith. Well, I did good works. Well, I was a good person. You know you're astray. It's only when you say he, 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 look what he did. The man on the middle cross, he's the one that I trust. He's the one who saved me. He's the one who rescued me. He's the one who said I could come. So how do you access that? You just begin to follow Jesus, hopefully in community. It's a lot Easier to follow Jesus in community, not by yourself. You begin to pray, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I just want to give you my life. Maybe some of you have never prayed that before. Here's the truth. Jesus longs for you to eat the bread of life. Jesus longs for you to be attached to the vine which gives you life and is the source of life. Jesus longs to give you resurrection life so you can live forever. That's the gospel. It's the simplest way I know how to say it. Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. Maybe that's a prayer for you today. This is a day Easter that challenges you to deconstruct everything you knew about reality and begin life on a new foundation, a new cornerstone, a way of trusting and living life based on faith and trust in Jesus. He longs to give you life, his life in you. Let's pray. Jesus, you could have done a number of things in our world. You could have lit a thousand firecrackers and put your name in the sky could have dropped pamphlets over the entire planet telling us what you're all about Father but you chose to send Jesus to live among us to give us words of life Father we thank you that you set your heart resolutely to Jerusalem on the cross to die for our sins Lord the the life that We could never live. You lived. The death we deserved, you died for us in our place. Father Jesus, you rose again. And it changes everything. And so we ask for forgiveness, Lord, for the times that we just say, hey, I'm just going to do this on my own. I'm going to find life on my own. I'm going to find happiness. And it's all up to me, Lord. We just want to deconstruct that entire worldview. And we confess how many times we fall into it. And so, Father, won't you live your life in us? Lord, I, we give you our lives. We give you our lives. Father, we thank you that you came not to impress upon us these abstract and personal concepts, of love, even love or grace or forgiveness, but you came to give us yourself. Jesus life in us, and Lord, we love you. We receive that. We embrace it in the name of Jesus.